Previously on Survived by One, Tom Odell recalled the abuse and isolation he experienced while growing up. Survived by One, The Life and Mind of a Family Mass Murderer by Robert E. Hanlon with Thomas V. Odell. Episode 3 Beatings, Chains, and Fifth Grade All four of the Odal children attended Horace Mann Elementary School. The building was typical for its era. A brown and beige brick structure with a strip of windows in every classroom. Tile floors and hallways lined by lockers, and all activity underscored by the steady hum of fluorescent lighting. Squeals, shoe squeaks, and the thundering bounces of balls filled the halls when the gym doors opened. Ladies wearing hairnets served lunch from steam tables. The classroom smelled like chalk dust, pencil shavings, and the ink of ballpoint pens. The classrooms themselves were drab affairs. Teachers were encouraged to fill them with color. Posters, photos, mobiles, and sculptures. Anything that might stimulate the increasingly shorter adolescent attention span. It was a time when America was, in part, defined by All in the Family, MASH, Happy Days, Long Hair on Men, Pet Rocks and Mood Rings, Platform Shoes and Leisure Suits, Disco and Star Wars. America was embracing these gaudy images that were reflective of its cultural values. And, as it is with all fads and trends, those who did not embrace the mainstream norm were considered to be outsiders. Socially, Tom Odell continually felt like an outsider throughout his childhood. When I was 10, I used to dance in the morning before school with these two girls, Tanya, who had been my friend for many years, and another girl, Tony. I really don't know why I remember Tony now, after all these years. I guess I remember her because she accepted me for who I was. I always thought that the other kids had a better understanding of what was going on during childhood because I never got to do very much with the other kids my age. I always felt isolated and stupid when I made mistakes as far as etiquette when I was around other kids my own age. I was in a fight with one of the cool kids and I beat him up pretty bad. After that he wasn't so cool anymore and a lot more kids talked to me and included me in activities at school such as softball, dodgeball, and basketball. I even got invited to several birthday parties, but I never went to any of them because my mother wouldn't allow me to go. So again, I was slowly fading out, and eventually the other kids no longer asked me to do anything because they knew I wouldn't be allowed to go. That really hurt me. My mother always talked about how she had been excluded from most things when she was young because her parents were so strict. But instead of letting me socialize with my peers, I was made to suffer the same fate as my mother. She also seemed to need to deprive me of most things. Once my father built a mini bike for me with an old lawnmower engine. When my mother found out about it, she sold the mini bike. That caused a huge rift between my mother and father. I guess I never really forgave her for a lot of the things she made me endure when I was a child. There was a time in the fourth grade when I had to write a paper. 
I wrote about how much I wasn't wanted at home and how out of place I felt. I ended up getting some swats at school because they thought I was lying and playing games with them. Then of course, they told my mom, who beat me for writing something like that. She told me, whatever goes on in this house stays in this house. I sometimes wonder if that paper had been taken seriously at school, would something have been done to help out my family? Why was it looked upon as a joke? Why did I need to be punished for it? But that was the 70s instead of now, when things like that are taken more seriously. I was beginning to be the class clown about that time, also. I found that I could make people laugh, and if I did stuff to make them laugh, they would like me. So I got into trouble here and there by messing up the classroom or making funny noises, drawing funny pictures, anything for a laugh and recognition from my peers. I was never the best student, but I could have been if I had applied myself. Even Tanya, my dancing partner, used to get mad at me because I didn't apply myself. I would help her with her homework and not even do my own homework because I just didn't want to. Half the time I didn't do any homework just because I didn't care. I knew that whether I did it or not, I was going to get ridiculed or whipped for it. So I would get into trouble when the baby wouldn't stop crying because I couldn't keep him quiet. Then I would get in trouble when the report cards came out, and I'd get in trouble for being the class clown. During that time I was getting whipped a lot, and a lot of things were being taken away from me. At one point, I didn't get any Christmas presents because I was so bad, and I had to watch everyone else open presents. I wasn't going to church any longer either because I had that taken away from me for the writing incident at school. While I was in the fourth grade, my paternal grandpa died. I really loved my grandpa. It was the first time I ever went to a funeral or a wake, and it was the only time I ever saw my dad cry. I remember when it happened because everybody went over to my grandma's house, and I found out a lot of things that day. I found out that nobody on my father's side of my family liked my mom. That was why they never came over to our house anymore. It was because of the way she had been treating me and Sean, and they were mad at my dad for not taking a stronger stand against her. I remember my cousin used to come over and play with me when I was little. She was about five or six years younger than my parents. One time she saw my mom start smacking me for no particular reason, and she had to stop her. Then my mom got mad at her for interfering, and she never came around again. Of course, the gossip spread about what she had seen, and it caused a huge break in my dad's side of the family. Anyway, my mom took us over to my grandma's house, but nobody would talk to her. They just waited for my dad to come over. I look back now and wonder why they feel the way they do about me, since they did nothing to stop it. At about that time, I saw the light in my grandma's eyes go out. The spark she had in her eyes was gone when my grandpa died. She was never the same. It wasn't until I got older that I began to realize what happened in 76 that caused her eyes to die. I don't know if I ever want to feel that pain that she had to endure when my grandpa died. I always felt lost after my grandpa died and my grandma changed because they were the people with whom I felt wanted and needed, unlike at home. I remember my grandpa telling me about death and heaven and stuff like that. I knew about it but I had never experienced it, and to this day, I wonder if he can see me 
and what he must think of me. I wonder if he would understand, or if he would turn his back on me like the rest of the family. My dad was never the same after his father died. He was more subdued, and just like my grandma, seemingly dead inside. At the age of 40, Tom Odell reflected on his experiences and relationships from age 10 to 14. Peer acceptance is common to the developmental stage of early adolescence, but in Tom's case, the normal concerns and insecurities of early adolescence seem to have been aggravated by the social restrictions and isolation that his mother had imposed on him. As a result of the physical and emotional abuse at home, at least in part, his aggressive acting out behaviors outside the home increased significantly during this period. At the same time, he was beginning to realize that the abuse to which he had become accustomed was considered inappropriate and unacceptable by other people. When I was in the fifth grade, I had a teacher whom I remember very fondly because I had a crush on her. She was beautiful, long red hair and green eyes. I was also a bit more accepted by my class in the fifth grade because of the goofing off. But I also had to contend with this hair thing. Most people in my class had long hair, as it was the 70s. But I always had to wear a crew cut that my dad gave me. I'd get laughed at whenever I got a haircut. I hated haircuts, which is one of the reasons I wear my hair so long most of the time now. I just wanted to blend in with everyone else. It seemed that I fit in better when my hair was growing out and not so short. But once it got cut, the ridicule started again. And when it got bad, the fights would start. I started playing baseball in an organized league about that time. I think they called it Little Minor League Baseball. I really had a blast. I always liked playing catcher and third base because they seemed to be the hot spots. I collected baseball cards for years and would listen to the ball games with my grandpa out in the yard before he died. I was a huge Cardinal fan and I wanted to grow up and play baseball for the Cardinals. The one time my father came to one of my games, I hit a home run over the fence. It was the only time either of them ever saw me play ball. My mom would take me, drop me off, and then leave. But I really didn't care because I was playing baseball. Baseball made everything all right. That was a good year for me. I had a cute teacher who I thought I was going to grow up and marry, and I was playing baseball. During that time, my brother was still stealing food at night, for which he got all the whippings. And my mom would deny him food also. That was another one of her punishments being sent to bed without any dinner after having to sit there and watch everyone else eat. That was another one of her punishments, being sent to bed without any dinner after having to sit there and watch everyone else eat. I tried to take the heat off him by taking some of the blame in order to save him from being whipped and made to go hungry. I hated him in one sense because I had to take care of him, but on the other hand, I couldn't stand by and let my mom beat him like she did and not do something about it. So I would take the blame when I could. But eventually it got to the point where she would just punish both of us when something came up missing. My sister was never into anything because she was always hanging around my mom or playing with my brothers. I don't think I ever saw her get whipped or anything except for a couple of times when we all had to be punished because my mom couldn't decide which one of us should be punished for something. 
I think it was about that time that I started shoplifting at the local mom and pop grocery store. I would steal little things like candy bars, sodas, gum, and kid stuff because the other kids always had that stuff, but I was never allowed to. I would steal little things like candy bars, sodas, gum, and kid stuff because the other kids always had that stuff, but I was never allowed to have it, so I would take it from the store. I would also steal things my mom told me to buy for her and keep the money she had given me because I wasn't given an allowance and never had any money of my own. I got caught a few times, but since it was the neighborhood grocery store, they would always turn me loose. They would tell me not to do it again, give it back, and get out of there. Chained to a bed. Shoplifting adolescents are hardly an anomaly. It's a relatively normal part of childhood to test the boundaries of the adult world to discover what the real rules are, where the firm limitations lie, and determine what we can and can't get away with. Smoking cigarettes, experimenting with drugs and alcohol, exploring pornography or shoplifting. We are tempted by the forbidden fruits of adulthood, and we pursue that temptation. But there was a strong undercurrent at work in Tom Odell's life, a series of events and circumstances that were part of being born into his family, that were propelling him along further than the realm of typical adolescent misbehavior. Under the best of circumstances, Tom would have probably stepped outside the boundaries of normal, acceptable behavior. That was part of his character, to explore the boundaries and push the envelope when it came to rules and behavior. But no one could have seen the eventual outcome of his early attempts to discover his true self and cope with the perils of his home life. Six months after the murders, Tom underwent a comprehensive psychological evaluation by Michael Althoff, Ph.D., at the request of the public defenders that represented him during his trial. The results of Dr. Althoff's informed and insightful examination of Tom were used to educate the jury and the court. It appears that there is a long-standing history of physical and emotional abuse to Tom by his mother. There appears to have been excessive corporal punishment in addition to unusually cruel consequences, such as chaining him to the bed. His mother reportedly also engaged in a number of behaviors that were emotionally cruel and were geared to inflicting guilt and control through condescension and criticism. Also in significant importance is the fact that Tom's perception of his mother was of someone who behaved in inconsistent ways. This suggests that he viewed his mother as unpredictable and that there was no stable or constant way in which she related to him. As I got older, the beatings stopped and were replaced with other forms of abuse, such as chaining me to a bed with a dog chain and padlocks. These new forms of punishment were combined with hateful statements by my mother. She would say that she wished I had never been born, and she would constantly say what a huge disappointment I was to her as a child. Why was I still alive? Why didn't I run away? She was constantly droning on and on with these mean and hateful words. These were things I always heard almost daily from the woman who gave me life. Sometimes I wish she had never given me life. My father had heard her say these things to me many times, and he even knew that she was chaining me to the bed. But he never stood up for me, and he never stopped her from beating me, slapping me, 
or degrading me. He let it all take place. He was always working during the time I wasn't in school, from 4 p.m. to 12 a.m., so I always had to deal with my mother. As I got older, I could never understand why he allowed her to do those things. I don't think I could ever sit back and let someone treat my son or daughter in such a manner as that. You don't tell a child that you're sorry you tried so hard to have them and what a disappointment they have turned out to be. I started hearing this when I was about 10 or so, along with chaining me to the bed. Being chained to the bed was something else. At first, she used plastic wire wraps, like the plastic handcuffs they use now. She used them instead of a babysitter, so she'd go out and do whatever. Before she started with the chaining, she would go out in the evening while my dad was working. After she left, I'd leave, but I always tried to beat her home. When she found out about my activities, she started chaining me to the bed. Then I started breaking the plastic wire wraps, so she switched to a dog chain. Unaware of the abuse that went on behind the doors of the Odal home, her friend, Yvonne Sexton, saw another side of Carolyn's complex personality. I looked up to her. I liked her a lot. I was impressed by her. She was seven years older than me. I met her at the school. She was the PTO president, and I went to all of the PTO meetings, and I played the piano for all the children's things. And we just got to know each other. I was elected an officer and we got to be better friends, and also we bowled together later on. We went out bowling once or twice a week. We also went shopping together. But aside from their social activities and the camaraderie that Yvonne shared with her friend, she was perplexed by the manner in which Carolyn would discipline her children in response to minor infractions of the household rules. She would hit their palms with a paddle. If they would not admit it, all of them would be punished. The chain went from my bed to the bathroom. It was wrapped around the bed frame with a padlock, and the other end was wrapped around my ankle and secured with a padlock. I never asked about her reasoning or where she came up with such an idea. My father knew and he wouldn't stop her or intervene. I was chained two to four times per week for a few hours, usually from 6 to 9 p.m. or so. The chaining began when I was about 9 and ended when I was about 12. It ended because I began using players to break the chain and refused to be chained any longer. I also showed my brother how to undo the chain. I guess when you're submitted to that kind of abuse when you're a kid, you don't necessarily think it's bizarre until you're out of the situation. My brother Sean would get up at night and eat snacks. My mother called it stealing food. He would get up at night and eat a sandwich or a cupcake, but we weren't allowed to snack between meals. If we did, my mother would accuse us of stealing food, and we would be forced to skip the next meal. I don't know where the idea came from, but that was why my brother Sean would be chained up all night. She used the same type of dog chain that she used on me. However, Sean was more courageous than me because he eventually told someone at school who believed him. In striking contrast to his mother's abusive tendencies, Tom's father rarely resorted to physical punishment with his children.
My father wasn't violent or really into punishment of any kind. He would generally talk to me about what I had done wrong. No matter how serious the wrong, he was willing to talk, unless my mother urged him to physically punish one of us. I only recall two incidents when my father put his hands on any of us, and it was at the urging of my mother. One time, my brother had taken some money from my grandmother, my mother's mom, and my father was just talking to him. My mother started yelling and calling my father soft and weak. She kept yelling and degrading my father until my father finally grabbed my brother Sean and started spanking him really hard with his hand. He kept spanking him for a long time. I was shocked. When he finally stopped, it seemed like she was high. She got high by watching him punish my brother. She seemed thrilled by it. He asked her if that was soft and weak. The only other time my father got physical was when I was busted for some residential burglaries, and my mother urged him on again. He beat me with closed fists, and he beat my ass pretty good. We didn't talk for a few weeks until one day my father apologized. But now I know that the only reason he beat me was because my mother urged him on. And by the time I was 14 or so, she had stopped hitting me herself because I threw her up against the wall and told her no more.